1: Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 110 of the Peristyle Podcast. 110 episodes, wow. Today is March 24th, 2010. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. A lot of questions to get to. If you have questions or comments, you can always drop us an email. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. We love your questions. International questions are great, too. Send them in, Podcast at we got a big recruiting segment coming up with Gerard Martinez. Is a big Sontrell Henderson signings. So we're going to talk about that, answer a lot of your recruiting questions. But first, our first segment, we always love to talk to the coach, Harvey Hyde. Coach, joining us from Catalina Island. How you doing, coach?
2: I'm doing pretty good, Ryan. I'm over here hiding out. Uh, after last week, you asked me a couple of uh, really touchy subjects and so on, I thought I'd come back here in the backwoods, you know. So I'm living with the Buffalo over <laughs> here on Catalina, but uh, it's always good good to be with you.
1: I think they're the Bison coach over, aren't they? Aren't they Bison? B- bison. Okay. Yeah, I don't. You know. Bison. Sorry. About I've been that.
2: standing in front of them, you know, with a tarp <laughs> like they do down in Mexico, saying oh, hey, but they won't charge me.
1: Getting a little hate mail last week, Coach, from uh, from some of your opinions. I, I don't know, man. I, it was crazy. Well,
2: you know, as I always tell all of our listeners, you know, it's just my opinion. There's nothing personal on anything. I I wished or I can hope that every single kid on the Trojan team would be a number one draft choice, okay? That would be absolutely fabulous. But in some cases, that doesn't happen. And when I give an opinion on where I think or what a position a kid should play, not only at USC but in the NFL or whatever, it's just my opinion. And, uh, of course, there's a lot of polls, a lot of opinions that people have and so on, and people aren't supposed to agree with everything I say. So I appreciate their comments. Because I like to hear what people think about sometimes the things I say, okay?
1: Yeah, yeah. everyone out there, if you have questions, comments for us, any kind of feedback, positive or negative, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. We did have, we had one dissenting email, Coach. I'm not saying like a whole bunch of people emailed in. We usually get, most of the feedback we get is positive, and we appreciate that, and you know, knowing that you know you've been in radio a long time. This is—I've done some radio, and this is kind of my first venture out doing my own show with this podcast. We've been going a little over two years now. We do appreciate all the feedback that comes in because we're kind of learning as we go as well. I mean, this is kind of a new medium. There wasn't really any kind of Trojan podcast out there before. Now we're going two years strong, and we keep getting more listeners and stuff. So we appreciate everyone out there, and we love your feedback.
2: And I do too. And I'll tell you what—you're first in a lot of things, uh, Ryan—and. Uh... I'm just glad to be a part of your huddle, and we're glad to have all of our listeners out there be a part of our huddle, too, and they can call a play once in a while, too.
1: Yeah, call those plays. And if, uh, if you... Uh, this isn't a great segue, Coach, but if you want to make a call to get some tickets, you know what really helps make the podcast go? SCTickets.com, Southern California Tickets. They've been our sponsor pretty much from the beginning, helping us out, produce this podcast. 1-800-888-7287 is their email address. If you is their phone number. Email... At Tickets dot com, concert, sporting events, theater. If you need tickets for anything, go to Tickets dot com. Coach, they've really helped us out over there.
2: Yeah, they do. They they send me to all of the top events. You know, I I can't afford the tickets that you do, Ryan, <laughs> but I can get in the door and I'm at the top row with my binoculars and I can see everything.
1: Nice. <laughs> I don't know about that, Coach. You're the mayor of Pasadena up there. You can walk into any restaurant there. They give you free meals. I don't know what's going oh, on.
2: Oh, I don't know about that. I'll <laughs> tell you that. But, it, uh, you know, Southern California ticket on the serious side really does take care of people, and they have it for, you know, every type of an event. So don't say, oh, I can't get a ticket to that event, because they can attempt it for you, you know, and uh, if you are if you get one, you'll be happy.
1: Yeah, and I, Well, Coach, a lot of stuff to get to this week, but Spring football starts less than a week away. It will start next Tuesday, uh, March thirtieth. There's two practices next week, uh, March thirtieth, April first, and there's the pro day sandwiched in between there on Wednesday, March thirty-first. Um, so we get to kick off spring ball a little bit later than normal. It's it, you know it kind of start around now a lot of the times. It even started a week earlier than that a few years back. Uh, but so much uh, so much anticipation going into the spring football, seeing the new coaches seeing returning coaches, hearing Ed Orgeron's voice on the sideline, uh, position changes, position battles, what will the competition be like, what is the offense going to look like, the the running back rotation. I mean, so much is going to be going on in spring football, and I think uh, they still haven't officially announced if it's open to the public. We assume it's going to be. They haven't said it's not. Um, so, um, you know, they Lane Kiffin did keep things open at Tennessee. It's always been open here at USC. There's, I don't see any reason why they would close it off unless something drastically changes but I think there's going to be a lot of fans watching practice uh, a lot of media down there watching practice so much to anticipate what well, are you going to go down there coach and what are you kind of looking forward to seeing the spring football
2: no I'm looking forward to going down there and just seeing how much of the past has carried over as far as practice schedule and so on everybody has their own way of doing things Lane Kiffin's been able to pick up ways and ideas and so on from his father, and when he was the Raiders, and of course with Pete Carroll, and then at Tennessee, he's had a chance to try out different methods, and so on, and what you do is collect all these different methods, and you incorporate them into what you believe, and what you think will work for you, and your program, and your staff, as far as uh, producing a winner, so I, I always look forward to seeing what Different is happening. Is there anything different? The pace of practice, the agility drills, uh, the group drills. uh, Sometimes they even change fields. Uh, Will the jerseys be the same on the offense and the defense? If they change the colors, the defense will wear one color and the offense wears a different color. There's always different things that happen that people want a little bit their way. Now, at USC, you never see a change uniform. You never see any of that. A lot of universities, when a new coach comes in, the first thing they do is change a helmet or they change a jersey. But at USC, you don't change anything. They still don't have the names in the back of the jerseys because that's tradition. We're team. We're not me or I. And I like that. I had the same thing at UNLB. The players used to tell me all the time, Coach, you want our names in the back of the jersey. And I said, you make a play, and believe me, people will know who you are. You don't have to worry about people trying to read your name on the back of the jersey. So uh, that's what I look forward to, and I also look forward to see the excitement of a new spring practice. Whenever there's a new staff, then the kids get excited, and spring practice is always an exciting part of football, but they've been off, and they've been working out, and they've been really doing a lot of things to get themselves ready for spring football, but when a new staff comes in, this is their opportunity to impress and be excited and, Always the first week is the best week of spring practice. Why? The kids are, have a lot of energy. They're not tired. They're not beat up. So if you're going to go down to spring practice, the best week to really go down is the first week. After the first week, kids start to get dinged up a little bit, and especially a third and fourth. Now, they're going five weeks. So when you get to the fifth week, they're starting to get tired of this. They want to hit a different color. They want to hit somebody else. So um, spring practice is fun but not fun what i mean it's a lot of work you don't get any rewards as far as a win or a loss in most cases you hope a win but you have a chance to make the football team and prove to someone that you're a football player i think this is what spring practice is all about to get the players in the right position and find out who the real football players are
1: and i think we're going to all look forward to seeing who those real football players are one of the differences already uh, besides starting a little bit later, I kind of like the new structure. It's very it's very symmetrical. I'm an, I'm a former engineer, you know, so I like symmetry. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and and before it would be kind of a, a four week thing where there would be some Fridays thrown in or Mondays, or a Sunday or something. They would kind of move things around, so you you had to really had to check the schedule all the time to see what's going on. Lane Kiffin said, "We're going to do five weeks. We have 15 practices, five day five weeks, three days a week, and uh, I kind of like that." Like you said, guys get a little tired at the end. Do you think it's a little better to have it spread out over five weeks where they kind of get tired at the end, or you put four practices a week so they can kind of wear themselves out a little bit? I don't know if, if one way is better than the other, Coach, or what you think.
2: Well, you know, you look at it. First of all, let me ask you, the practice times on Tuesday and Thursday at 4, am I correct, and yeah. Saturday at 11?
1: Yeah, they're supposed to be about 4 p.m. Sometimes they start a little earlier or later, and then about 11, 11 a.m. on Saturdays. That's the schedule as of now.
2: Good. I want to make sure all of our listeners know what time the practices are. Uh, I used to go, I think I went when I had spring practice. You know, first of all, uh, they like the five-week, the first uh, this first spring for Lane Kiffin, because they have a day to evaluate in between. They really do, and I think that's important, to do a lot of teaching. They They don't have to practice on a Tuesday, then practice on a Wednesday again. They have a whole day to observe videos, if you get hurt, to get a little treatment still do recruiting, and kids can come in and watch the videos. They're not in a hurry to move on. You you can do a lot of teaching when uh, you have a day in between. So you go Tuesday, Thursday, and then Saturday, a lot of people have an opportunity to come out to practice. You really want a lot of people to practice. because you can't believe what a crowd will do to inspire your players. Your players, when they think they're not only being evaluated by their coaches, but also by fans that are standing out there, and a lot of high school athletes, really pick up the pace and do a, work harder they really do so you want to be able to have an opportunity for people to get out there and uh, watch the team play and have good crowds and so on and the enthusiasm that the crowd brings to, to the playing field it really lifts the morale and the players uh... play a little bit harder and practice a little bit harder but you know it's hard to say which is the best i like it when you don't have a spring break in between uh... I, I did it once when we had a spring break in between, and I just didn't like it. We went two weeks, everything was in set, we were going, our momentum was good and everything, and all of a sudden they had a week off. Then they came back, and the first two practices, they were getting back about thinking about football. They were thinking about the beach, and half of them were tired and out of shape and didn't feel like practicing. So I really like it when you go straight through spring practice, just like you do a football season. So, yeah, five day, five weeks, three days a week uh, is good. Uh, some people go four days and so on. But I, I like what they're doing because they're a new staff. They want to evaluate everything. They'll still lift during spring practice this way. The kids won't be tired on the off day. They can still lift weights. So I think they've thought it out, and they know what they want to do. And, and I, you know, I just buy in on whatever – a coach's philosophy is because obviously he has experience and he knows which way and what he wants to accomplish.
1: Yeah, and I think the kids are buying in as well, and and it's hard to tell how much is that new factor, but it seems like they really kind of are embracing some sort of change, and there was a little bit of complacency maybe before we talked to you know, some players about that, and it just seems like everybody is fired up about the opportunities that are going to be afforded to them, and you have guys that or starters that are going to have to keep fighting to get their job. I mean, you look at just middle linebacker, Chris Galippo, Uh, you know, he was the starting middle linebacker, didn't really have a lot of depth behind him, so no one was actually pushing him just because there wasn't guys on the roster that could or were able to play. You had all these guys that were out, like Luther Brown and stuff like that. Uh, Devon Kennard, you know, the new linebacker coach, Joe Barry, comes in. We put up a story about that today. Uh, we'll have a linebacker preview a little bit later today as well. Um, Joe Barry loves what he sees with Devon Kennard, thinks he's a middle linebacker. Instant competition for Chris Galippo. So there's just a lot those kind of battles like that that with the new staff and it just adds this level of excitement. That's I think what I'm most excited about seeing. There's going to be all these new things to kind of take in during spring ball.
2: I agree with you and I and I really believe that the defensive staff is going to be really sound. They've worked together. Bonnie Kiffin is a uh, master at what he's doing. Orgeron brings a lot of enthusiasm, along with uh, Barry, who's a linebacker coach and brings a lot of experience from the NFL after playing at USC. You've got a great uh, secondary coach, and then you've got Knight in the secondary, too. I mean, I don't know if there's a better defensive staff. Now, there are great coaches and great staffs in the country, but that defensive staff right now under Monty Kiffin, is pretty damn good. I'm telling you, they're strong at every position, and they will get every ounce of ability out of every one of those players. They really will, and they'll run techniques and teach schemes that those players can do. Those players will know what's expected of them and what their responsibilities are. They will execute. I I guarantee you that. Now, there might be teams that are better as far as offensively, but I'll tell you, this team defensively will really well coach. I'm anxious to see... What happens on offense? But you have two coaches that were held over. Only The only two coaches that were basically field coaches that were held over, and Tom McNair and, and Morton. So I'm anxious to see what their roles are going to be on offense. I'm anxious to watch the offensive line. Because you've heard me say week after week, and I know that I sometimes uh, hammer on things too much, but I need to see what progress the offensive line will make. Who's going to play at what position, what type of attitude they're going to have, are they going to be bone crushers or or what? So, uh, I'm anxious to watch the offensive line perform. I'm, off, I'm also anxious to see if there's going to be any two back offense, or if it's going to be all one back offense, and who's playing what position, and so on. And then, who can you know not want to watch a competition at receivers? That's going to be absolutely. Uh, amazing and actually I'm looking forward to seeing the co- quarterback competition because I don't think Mitch Mustaine is out of it I mean Matt Barkley had a great year now don't get me wrong and he's a freshman and playing in a very difficult situation but I think it's wide open everywhere so I'm anxious to see just what happens with everything and how the offense is going to be run but there isn't really a coordinator so I'm assuming that's Lane Kiffin
1: all right um well let's get to some questions is that okay coach yeah, let's do it. All right, questions. Podcast at com is our email address. Uh, one of the things that we wanted to touch on, uh, Santrell Henderson, uh, the, the five-star offensive tackle, number two player in the country, according to Rivals.com. He was number one in the country for quite a while. Uh, signed with USC officially uh, yesterday, sent in his letter of intent. Lane Kiffin sent out a press release, so he's definitely part of the USC Trojan class of 2010. That will make USC remain the number one class in the country. Um, Brad had a question we're going to answer during the recruiting segment, but I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on it as well. Do you think Henderson has the tools that, that, you know, that you've seen? Is he a guy that you think could start right away for USC? You were talking about that offensive line, and you know he's a new guy coming in. Maybe give everyone a, a, a shot in the arm. It's tough for offensive linemen to start as freshmen, but what do you think about him?
2: Well, I think he's a great catch. I really do. When anybody's that big, 6'8", 300-and-some pounds, and has quick feet, he has quick feet, and so on, and has dominated, he needs to learn how to play hard every down. I think that's one of the things that people have discussed, that he doesn't play have to play down, or hard every down. And in high school, he didn't have to. He just completely dominated some of the players. He would just stand up and pass block, and the guy couldn't even get around him. So what's the difference of trying? So I think one thing that happens when it – highly ranked player like Henderson comes into camp, I think the returners have something to prove. I really believe this. I believe the defensive ends and defensive tackles and so on will want to prove a thing to him, and it really is too bad, but they all want to go against him to see just how good this kid really is, and they want to sort of prove a point, and if I can look good against this kid, or welcome to the, the Trojan practice field, Henderson, and, and I think that happens sometimes. I, I think that players come in, if you remember McKnight came in with all of this high praise and so on, that it makes it very difficult on them. It really does. And Henderson, obviously, as a lineman, uh, it's hard to start as an offensive lineman on a top-rated program. But players have done it. UCLA had several do it last year. Other teams in the country have great players do it. If you're a great player and a tough kid, You can do it, and you'll find out in practice just how good he is, because he's going to have to come in with an attitude knowing he's going to be going against some of the quickest and best defensive ends and tackles in the country. So he'll have to grow up in a real hurry. He's a young man with a big body, but great talent. So we'll have to find out just how he adjusts to college football. There's such a different level between high school and college and college and the NFL that people don't really realize what the difference is in the levels. There's a lot of difference in the level of football being played in high school and then college. Normally, as a skilled player, you make that change a little bit easier. When you have to play down the trenches, sometimes it's a little bit harder. But I'm anxiously looking forward to seeing him. If he was there in the spring, I would say he'd have a much better chance. Not that he doesn't have a great chance in the fall, depending how he comes in and practices and how he adapts to the offense, but I'll tell you one thing. Everyone is really excited about him being a Trojan, and uh, he will become a great athlete at USC as an offensive lineman. And that's something really, not that we haven't had him recently, but we haven't had that, that type of guy that's the Outland Trophy winner or something like that. We haven't had... That dominant offensive lineman since who Sam Baker?
1: Yeah, I guess you could say Sam Baker. And I don't think they've won the Outland Trophy in thirty something years or something like that. So it's been a little while. I mean, you had guys like Baselli, you know, a while back Baker, but it's been a while. And uh, I think Henderson can be that guy. You're right, Coach. It's it's going to get people excited. Um, just having a kid like that in camp. And if it does light a fire under someone like a Tyron Smith or, or whoever, uh, I think it can only help the team.
2: Oh, I agree. And I'll tell you what, if, uh, the defensive players get excited too, going against, uh, as they used to call it when I coached, fresh meat. They used to love <laughs> to get a new guy in there and try to eat him up. You know what I mean?
1: Right. No, that that makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, we'll get to that question a little bit more too. But I wanted to get your thoughts on that. We'll talk about that in the next segment for recruiting. But TD had a question uh, when Coach Kiffin left Tennessee. He said he was somewhat satisfied with what they accomplished, but he really thought that the next year would have been when his system kind of took hold and started to bear fruit. Um, seems like there's a lot of intangibles. It's difficult for a new coaching regime to get successful in their first year. Um, and His question was, given that the upcoming year will be the first for Kiffin and his staff, is it reasonable or unreasonable for Trojan fans to expect the team to earn a BCS berth again?
2: Oh, I think it's uh, possible, very possible. Chip Kelly didn't do a bad job his first year at Oregon, and uh, that sort of proves that you can win your first year, and other coaches have done it. USC certainly is a program that has talent and tradition that you don't expect anything else but that. I mean, if you don't go to a BCS bowl game, I think somewhat people are, disappointed you didn't have a great year not fans but players and coaches fans too don't get me wrong but i think you go to usc to win a national championship there's schools you go to if to win a national championship ohio state florida now you know alabama now there's teams you go to to win a national championship and and sc is one of those teams And to win a national championship, you've got to go to a BCS bowl game, first of all. and It's got to be the championship game now the way the format is. But a BCS game is something that's quite profitable and also something you can be proud of. So, yes, I think it's expected. I think everybody would be disappointed if they don't. And uh, that's putting a lot of pressure on Lane Kiffin. Don't get me wrong, but that's what the USC coaching job is about. When you come to USC, you're expected to win, no matter what sport it is. So for us to expect the Trojans to go to a BCS Bowl game, yes. I think we do. I don't know if there's someone out there that says, oh, we got to give him a year or two. I don't know. I don't know if you give a guy a year or two when you're USC. You put it together. You have everything possible that you need to win regarding budget and support and so on. You have a number one recruiting class your first year. You've got players back. You've got a starting quarterback back that started the entire year as a freshman. You've got running backs back. The cupboards aren't there. It's not like you're going to a school where the cupboards are bare and you've got to rebuild uh, this program. This program is there. Even last year with nine games, after winning nine games and winning the Emerald Bowl, people were disappointed. Nine and four wasn't good enough. And when you leave Tennessee or you come to coach at U.S., you know what goes along with it. And that's BCS bowl game.
1: I agree with you, coach. And I, I think maybe TD, a little thoughts on my end. I think it's a little different when Kiffin took over a Tennessee program that was kind of on the decline for several years, where if you're going to say the USC program was on decline, it was, you know, maybe a year or two or something. It wasn't all that long. If Kiffin took over for Fulmer, like in 2000, like two years removed from their national championship, it'd probably be a little bit similar to what was going on here at USC right now. But he had a different attitude going to Tennessee because they really had to change things around quite a bit. And I think he knows coming to USC, there was enough talent in place that the recruiting class coming in wasn't going to be relied upon. They didn't have to fill in a ton of holes. Uh, They just needed to add some depth places and, and, you know, maybe put a a sprinkle a few guys here and there, but it was going to just kind of keep the program going the way it was. And you could argue that some things weren't going right, but there still was enough talent on the roster and enough coaches on this staff that were familiar with the way things were and and guys like Orgeron and Kiffin who were around for the national championships and stuff, who knows what it's like to win here at USC in the not so distant past. I think it's a little bit different situation. And that's probably why one of the reasons why the expectations here are gonna be so high. I, I would have been really curious to see what Kiffen did his follow-up year at Tennessee, because I think he did a great job. He turned that offense around. I got to see that offense up close and personal because my fiancé is a big Tennessee fan two years ago and last year, and it was night and day. And he made guys like Hardesty and Crompton, who people said were bums two years ago, look great in the following year. And I, I think... He's got an innovative offensive mind. I know a lot of people you know, were questioning that, and they thought everything was Norm Chow or Reggie Bush or Matt Leiter. You can argue all, that all you want. But I'm really curious to see what he does with this offense. I think he's going to make this offense work a lot better than it's been working the last couple of years. And because it's a different situation, the expectations are going to be higher. I mean, yes, it's USC. But I think the, the expectations aren't only higher. I think he has a, a reasonable chance of getting there. Just because he's going to be able to keep things going that Pete Carroll had going so well for so many years.
2: No, I agree with you, and I'll tell you, I know, I, I, you know, I like him being the coordinator now. You know, at first I was wondering who the coordinator was going to be. Sometimes, like last year, Pete Carroll had Morton as a coordinator, but he didn't call the plays. I, I don't think that works. You got to be up front. You got to say, "Hey, he's a, I'm the coordinator. I'm going to call the plays. This is my offense. If it doesn't work, ask me what, why we call that play." The kids look have someone to look to. Uh, this is the guy, and uh, he likes. He's young. He likes doing uh, the offense. He likes calling the plays, and he'll bring the enthusiasm to that offense that's necessary. So I think I think he'll be a much mature Lane Kiffin than what he was when he, when he was when he was there before. Not that he's much older, but I tell you, football years are every year your coach is like five years getting older, okay? <laughs> it, it really is. Take a look at a coach when he comes in to a, a program, take a picture of him, and then look at the picture of him five years later, okay? It's like a president of the United States. They age real fast. Yeah. <laughs> they really do. And if you're going to be in charge of something, then would be in charge of it and take the responsibility of being the offensive coordinator and head football coach, And I think he needs to come out and say, hey, I'm the offensive coordinator. I'm the head football coach, and I'm the guy that's calling the plays and running the offense.
1: All right. Well, it'll be fun to watch. One last question, Coach, from Sam. Um, Transfers common in college football when a new coach arrives. Um, He wanted to know, do you think there's any transfers that are in place to come to USC? There could be a few that leave as well. Or What what were your overall feeling when you kind of came to a new program about transfers? How did that all break down?
2: Well, you know, you always have people that leave, and you always have people who want to transfer and so on. And at a USC, like a school like USC, you've got to be very careful who you take as a transfer because they count as the number, number of players you can have on your roster and so on on the field and traveling in uniforms and, and all this and that. And remember, a player that's out there is a player that takes time and, and coaching. So you don't want anybody on the play field, really, that can't contribute in some way to your program. There's not a lot of players that transfer uh, to a program like USC and become successful. Uh, Williams did, the great receiver from Arkansas. I thought he really contributed. Mustaine's been struggling, and there's others that have been done well and so on, and uh, and there's some that haven't. Uh, I think there's more of a chance that people may leave the program than transfer into the program, and I say that because after spring practice, a lot of players will see that maybe I don't have a place in this new program, maybe I should go somewhere else, maybe I was not uh, as good as I thought I was, or the coaches uh, misevaluated misevaluated me and so on, and maybe it's best for me to, to transfer to another school. Uh, so, you know, we'll see what happens at the end of spring. No one's transferred out now, or just the quarterback who left early before they named Land Kiffin. But but I really think that uh, at the end of spring, you'll look to see who was successful and who wasn't successful. And normally, when you're a senior, you don't transfer. You want to get your degree. If you do transfer, you need the place. So you're going to drop down a level where you're immediately eligible. But as a senior, you're not going to transfer and sit out a year at another school. You want to move on with your life and get into the real world and make a living or something. So... Uh, no, uh, you you won't see anybody transfer right away, and I don't think you'll see many people transferring in.
1: Yeah, that's always – people are asking about scholarships and stuff, and uh, right now there's a 80 – we count 80 scholarships that are allotted of, of the 85. Um, it, who knows? I mean, we could see some transfers over the summer. I think, the, like you said, spring football could be a catalyst for some guys that just feel that they're going to be too far down on the depth chart or, you know, who knows? you got a disgruntled player from another – school that wants to come in or a kicker or something there's always there's always kind of options it always makes it interesting it just that's why coach football just is 365 days a year there's always something between recruiting or the team or whatever going on and it's always just fun to watch
2: it is fun to watch and I tell you that's one thing I think they have to address this spring is the kicking game Baxter will do a good job at it but I think you have to you know really look at your field goal and place kicker kickoff guy punter well, to win a national championship, you've got to have a complete uh, program, offense, defense, and special teams. And I think last year the Trojans really suffered at special teams. Even with a, a special teams coach, they didn't really perform to the level of what a national championship team does. Uh, and I think this year that's going to be something that's very, very important as far as them improving. I think that's why they went out and made Baxter associate head coach and paid him the money they did and lured him away from Fresno State after being there for 13 years, and he had a chance to, I believe, come to USC once before and didn't, and the deal they gave him was something he couldn't turn down because I think they recognize that the special teams portion of a complete team is very important.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Coach. Another thing to watch this spring, special teams with John Baxter in there, and uh, he's going to bring an excite, a level of excitement, I think, to the USC special teams program. All right, Coach, Well, we went a little long during your Catalina away vacation. Hopefully uh, you have fun over there, catch some tuna or something, and uh, have a good time. We'll talk to you again next week.
2: Buddy, I appreciate it very much. Uh, Have a great week, and I look forward to seeing you at spring practice and talking to you next week.
1: Sounds great, Coach. Everyone else we will be back in 30 seconds talking USC football recruiting with Gerard Martinez. Stay tuned.
0: Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham.
1: Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. Let's talk a little recruiting in this segment. So we got to go to our expert, Gerard Martinez. Sir, what are you up to, man?
3: The expert, a.k.a. one-eyed man in the land of the blind. Isn't isn't that what a recruiting (laughs) expert really is? Truthfully... I, I hate the word expert because, I mean, it's kind of a it's hard to be an expert at something that's not a science, and recruiting is certainly not a science. But we do our best, and uh, a lot going on. It was uh, last week, I suppose it was on spring break. I, I didn't realize it. I wish somebody would have let me know during uh, the week that I was on vacation, making all those calls for the Rivals Five Star Academies up in Oakland and here in Los Angeles. But uh, I, I guess I enjoyed my spring break. I, I didn't do much, but uh, I'm glad I had one.
1: What, where'd you go? Cabo or something? Were you out, you know, Acapulco? I was in
3: Oakland. <laughs> Oakland. Nice. Well, a spring big, a spring big de- 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 uh, destination for everyone. Berkeley and Oakland. That's that's where you head, man. That's, that's where it's happening. Awesome.
1: Yeah, well, it was a good time. I mean, the uh, five-star academy was kind of cool. If you don't know, rivals host these junior days all over the country. And uh, a lot of the top players come out. And it, it's, it's a good way to get educated on the recruiting process. I sat in on one of the uh, speakers and – It's really interesting. I mean, they're talking to kids that, you know, there's a wide range, guys that are from, you know, they're getting recruited by the USC's and Texas's of the world, and then guys that are like borderline guys. And he really, you know, they really try to tell these kids what they need to do to get all their ducks in a row to make sure that their coaches are doing the right things to get recruited, and they're doing everything they need to do academically to stay eligible. And and they they talked a lot about the social media stuff, which is kind of a big hot-button topic right now, uh, you know, if you're going to be put stuff out there, I mean, there's people that have they're canceling their Twitter accounts because it's getting a lot of people in trouble. They're getting out and saying these things in social media. As soon as you say that, it's not just social media; it's like the regular media. If you're a high-profile athlete or wannabe, and you say something on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, you got to assume it's going to be out there forever. And uh, I think you know that was one of the topics the speakers were talking about. So there was a lot of interesting stuff. I thought it was worthwhile for the kids.
3: Yeah, the Facebook thing is uh, very unique. I think there's a a lot of recruits that are figuring out that uh, they need to be a little more shrewd on Facebook and um, just, you know, with with friending everybody and their brother. And then you've got uh, these fan bases that just bicker and and attack each other uh, on on a a recruit's Facebook. Uh, It was funny with the... Dietrich Riley last year, and it wasn't really even USC fans so much as it was Tennessee fans getting on there and and you know talking a bunch of crap about Lane Kiffin and don't go to USC because of this and that, and then UCLA fans being like, yeah, you know they're right, and and it's just it's just funny just to listen to people argue and Notre Dame fans would get in there and go, why would you want to go to Tennessee? They have no academics, and then the Tennessee fans would go, why do they want to go to Notre Dame? You guys have a crappy coaching staff, and it just <laughs> go back and forth, and it's just and, it, and then Dietrich Riley would come in and go, hey. Take it somewhere else. this is my Facebook page. This is not a message board on rivals or something, and, and but that's the thing. I mean, these, these fans are so, they're so into it, and they feel like they can influence the, the recruiting process, and you know they can see it as magic words that the kid's going to read it and go, "Wow, you know what? I really feel like I want to go to that school." I mean, you're right, man. I, you really touched me with that Facebook comment and. It's just nuts. I mean, you know, fans are in this uh, – they're in a fantasy mode, you know, when they're when they're in recruiting. And, and I think fans who get on, you know, recruit Facebooks and start pimping their teams, um, it's, that's that's going a little far. And, uh, you know, it, unfortunately, you know, NCAA can't do anything about it. It's got to be the kids, it's got to be the parents that uh, that buckle down. And, and yeah, uh, Five Star Academy, some of that is about educating them on – you know, what this really means, you know, what the the value of some of the social media aspects are, but also what some of the pitfalls are, and even just with the media in general, even how to handle us, Rivals.com, and and the guys, you know, calling these recruits. Um, There's a lot of stuff to the recruiting process nowadays, and that's why it's become so complicated, and it's the beast and the dramatic uh, soap opera that it is.
1: Yeah, and I think it was a good service that that Rivals provided for these kids. And for us, it was nice because we got to go down and— get a lot of interviews. I mean, obviously with USC, you're focusing on some of the guys that everyone's going to recruit. They don't have to worry about trying to get a scholarship somewhere. Uh, so it was a little bit different from the, you know, kind of the reason that we had our staff down there. We, we were helping out for the Five Star Academy, but we also wanted to get some interviews. And you can check those all out on uscfootball.com. we will be putting them up all week long because there's a lot. A lot of recruits that were down there uh, from both the Oakland camp and the one in LA. So check that out. But Gerard, we kind of got a little tangent here talking about the five star academy. We got to talk a little recruiting. We got some questions. You ready to take some? Yeah, I
3: thought we were talking about recruiting, but okay. Well, we are talking about recruiting. We just we got to get to these
1: questions too, we just start. If we could talk, we could just talk about recruiting the whole time, which maybe we'll do that sometime. But we have to. Uh, we want to get to these questions as well. Uh, Kevin loves to to ask questions from you. Wanted to know first about Christian Thomas. Uh, USC signed three tight ends. Probably difficult to have all those guys play. Is there a position change in store for Mr. Thomas?
3: It's possible. Although saying that they signed three guys and all three guys are are not going to play uh, it's a little bit of an assumption only because you could look at what USC has on the roster right now. And, um, you know, it all really depends, I think, on Blake Ailes uh, as far as having a good receiving threat, a guy that can get vertical, a guy that can make plays in the passing game. Um, last year, he had the drop sinks. He had a real difficult time. He's got to become a better blocker. Um, he seems focused. I think he knows. This is definitely his year. Maybe he felt like last year, well, I think McCoy's there, and, you know, I'm not going to be the guy so I can slack off a little bit. Um, you know, that's maybe, you know, me just kind of feeling that's kind of where his head was at because he is such a talented player. I saw him play in high school. He was one of the best, you know, tight ends in the country coming out of high school. So, you know, the talent is there. The focus has got to be there. That's really the thing that's been lacking. And so, you know, this year is going to be the year where it's on his shoulders. And if he's not even able to step up, and we're going to see that early in spring ball. I mean, we're going to see if he's really kind of taking that step into being a dominant player, a guy that can be a star player on the team. If he can't be, then, you know, they may need all three of the kids that they sign, Xavier Grimble, uh, Christian Thomas, and Randall Telfer, and all three of those guys are really good players. Randall is a guy a lot of people sleep on, but he might be the best of the group in that he's balanced and he can block and he can, he's a really good receiver. He's fast. He's a lot more athletic than people really think. And I think, you know, once he starts to bulk up and he starts to get a little bigger, he's really raw. They used him a lot as a receiver as a junior last year. They used him a little more as a tight end, and they used him a lot as a defensive end. And He showed just his flat out athleticism as a defensive end last year for Ranch Cucamonga. He's a guy that uh, a lot of people got to look out for. Um, Christian Thomas is probably, maybe not, he's the most athletic of the group. He is the most powerful, built, quicker. He's actually lost a little bit of weight, and that's kind of where you kind of wonder, okay, where, where is he going to play? He actually looked more like a receiver at the Army All-American Bowl um, than he did that kind of H-back that a lot of people talked about when he was a junior. Uh, when we saw him at the Nike camp, he was 240 pounds and he was about two. And you looked at a guy and you go, man, he, he you know, he almost could be kind of a fullback and maybe, you know, you could put him as a D end. He looked like he was going to grow into being a guy that would be more of like a Devon Canard type guy. And now when you look at him, um, he's still about that six, two, six, three range, but he's really lost a lot of weight. So he's a lot slimmer and uh, he, he just, he's nowhere close to being a guy that you're going to say, Oh yeah, he could be like Devon Kennard. He doesn't look like that at all anymore. Um, and that, you know, shows you how quickly guys can change in terms of their body and whatnot. So, um, you know, he is the guy that's the most versatile of that group of, of the three tight ends. He could play another position. Um, I heard some chirping before, you know, the new staff came in uh, from Pete Carroll's staff. You know, maybe there was going to be uh, a move to, to the linebacker. He could be a guy that could play outside linebacker and, and do some different things. That's still plausible. Um, but again, you know, it really depends on who steps up for, that's on the roster right now in spring ball, who shows promise. And if they feel like, okay, we've got some depth there. They've already moved uh Boyd um, back to uh defensive end now so you know, well, they, that's a guy that could kind of play a little bit of tight end and, and was, it was moved over to tight end for a second, uh, literally a second. Yeah. Um, but now you've know you got James Boyd back at defensive end, so there's less depth there. So you, you want to have five, six uh, tight ends on the roster. So there's not necessarily – it's going to be for sure that one of those three guys makes the position change.
1: Well, we'll see this spring, too, because Jordan Cameron, we got to talk to him yesterday. He's moved to tight end now. He looks a little bit bigger. Uh, So he's obviously going to be that kind of receiving type of tight end more than blocking. He's really got to work on his blocking, at least what he told us. But David Osbury is another guy. Jordan told us yesterday, we put this up on the peristyle. David Osbury is a guy who's going to put his hand on the ground a little bit. They're going to try to play him a little bit of tight end and receiver. So we'll see what what they do with him. Maybe they were concerned about depth, and that's why. Obviously, the three guys you mentioned, the recruits, won't be there at spring ball. So. Uh, look for this spring for Osbury to get a little time at tight end and, and Jordan Cameron be in there as well to step up if guys like Blake Gales, like you mentioned, won't be able to uh, in the spring. So we'll have to see what happens there. They will have a little bit extra depth because of the position changes. Then we'll see what happens in the fall. Uh, next question, Gerard. Is USC recruiting any fullback or running back to be a fullback in the role of a Stanley Havili, DJ Shoemate, Since Avili and Shoemate are going to be gone in 2010-2011?
3: At the moment, no. Um, It doesn't look like any of the running backs that they're going after are really guys that would fit that fullback mode. Um, It's uh, it's early in the recruiting process to start talking about fullbacks just because that's a position that tends to evolve from another position. And you have to remember – Solomon Vanuku. Solomon is a guy that we've talked about this time and time again and this really is where the numbers get skewed a little bit when you're talking about, you know, how many running backs do they want to recruit, how many linebackers do they want to recruit. And Solomonuku uh is talking about playing middle linebacker if he comes in uh with this next class. Um, you know, honestly that I think depends a lot on the linebacker depth. I mean, that's another position where you can talk about depth all day long. Um, and if he gets eligible, you know, he's gotta work hard in the classroom to get eligible. That's a whole nother thing that's a whole other can of worms but he's a guy that ran for 2000 yards 38 touchdowns six foot 250 pounds now if that doesn't say <laughs> all-american fullback i don't know what does i mean that's a guy that's got the size he's got the running ability the vision the ability to break tackles he's got to have a fair amount of speed I mean, 2,000 yards for a guy that big—that's really unheard of at, at the high school level. That's 2,200 yards he had as a senior. So, and he didn't play linebacker at all last year. And are people who are like, "Oh yeah, we well, coming in Raymond Malula. He must be a great linebacker too." He didn't play linebacker at all last year. He was all offense, and he's playing at Eureka, so it's not necessarily like they couldn't use him both ways. Um, but he won a championship. And played uh, just predominantly running back. Now he did play linebacker the year before, and was a good linebacker. He can play the position. Don't get me wrong, but that's a guy that's another variable in this talk of you know fullback, linebacker, some of these positions we're talking about. You know where the recruiting needs going to be. It depends on what the certain with the current roster is like. Um, so that's a guy. I think eventually one guy that USC is going to be interested in is Harvey Lange, who's a six foot. 210-pound running back uh, from Utah, looks a lot like Stanley Avili. I mean, he's kind of a dead ringer for Stanley Avili in terms of being kind of a hybrid running back, a power running back, great receiver, good runner. Um, but you look at him, you go, well, down the line, you know what, he could end up being 230, 235 pounds. It could be a guy that you can use in a lot of different ways, just like Stanley Avila, and I think that's a guy that USC is going to look at uh, as time progresses, and they're going to look at other players. They're going to look at other, maybe, running backs or linebackers um, that are just, they just don't fit the mold, maybe athletically, uh, to play a linebacker for USC, but they're guys that you could put over at fullback, and maybe they can become good blockers, because we've talked about this time and time again also, is that USC, at least under Pete Carroll towards the end the last couple years, they looked at the fullback position as two positions. They looked at the hybrid type fullback like Stanley Avili, a guy who's really a running back that you convert into a fullback that you can use in the passing game that can become a running back uh, for you, you know, on certain downs. And then they also look at the guy that's going to be more physical that can come up and block somebody. And this is the thing. If you're running a pro-style offense, you need a blocker. You need somebody who can come up and nail that middle linebacker in the hole and move him out of the way. And USC has had problems with that in the running game. For the past few years, really since they had that Ryan Padrell, um, you know, Hancock, they had that, you know, they had like three or four guys there that were all good running backs. Obviously they got hurt that year and was, you know, kind of catastrophic I think to the offense. You ended up having Mike Bringham at the end of the year as the fullback at 195 pounds blocking for C.J. Gable against UCLA, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't run the ball in that game because they had no fullback and they basically had to go to a single back set that limits your offense a lot when you're talking about a pro offense. They even had to use a lot uh, the year after, well, Ellison. Coming in because Stanley Avili was academically ineligible, They had to use Rhett Ellison as a guy that was an H-back and they put him in motion. You know, it's, it's really cookie-cutter. You can't get away with that. If you're going to play in a post-offense, you're going to run out of the I-formation, you got to have a guy that can really block. And that was, you know, with Simi uh, when he came in and they recruited him. He was a guy that was supposed to be that 6'1, 240-pound fullback that wasn't going to come in and be fancy. He was going to come in and maul people. He was going to be physical. Now it seems like they want to move Simi uh, over to defense. And so it puts Another void in to the blocking at the fullback position. DJ Shumate, I was playing receiver. You know, I hope he can come in and, and be physical and be a guy that can nail people. You know, head on. You know, he's he's physically capable of doing that, but there's a mentality that comes with it. And it's gotta be blue collar. It's gotta be unselfish. I don't need the ball. All I'm here to do is to wreck people and get in their face mask. And sometimes when you recruit these big time running backs and you try to convert them, it doesn't happen. So that's a position that later on in the year you'll look at these maybe second, third tier linebackers and you go, This guy's just nasty. You know, he's just a just a nasty player that's physical and, you know, he's got some scholarship offers, but we want him for this specific role and we're gonna bring him in for that. And that happens later down in the year when you start looking at you know who your actual real running backs are going to be i don't say real running backs but your actual tailbacks <laughs> are going to be and all the other positions you know when you're starting to recruit role positions just like the, the punter and the kickers and stuff like that sometimes it happens later in the year just because that's going to be a a certain role and you're not going to worry about you know a bunch of different numbers it's, it's like you bring in one guy to do that one specific thing so you can kind of wait on that
1: all right well sam thank you for that question i think it'll be interesting too gerard to see if uh, Lane Kiffin does use the fullback a little bit more, utilizes it, makes it more of a kind of a glory position, might change the way they recruit that position as well. So he might be able to get on some guys a little earlier instead of kind of signing a fullback late in the class there. But thanks for that question, Sam. And uh, next one up, Jim wanted to know, he appreciates his questions being answered on the show. Uh, He really likes recruiting, and he wanted this question to be uh, addressed. He's heard that the new staff has put a lot of offers out Back east because that's where the staff is familiar with. They coming, you know, coming in from Tennessee. But isn't it true that Kiffin and Orgeron know that California is golden? And why wouldn't they want to try to lock up California? Or would they still want to try to lock up California if they were still at the University of Tennessee? USC needs to put a fence around the best in California. Now, I don't know if that's really a question, and maybe I didn't read that point. <laughs> but uh, it's just statement. kind of addressing that, Gerard, like they. Uh, I think the roles would have been reversed a little bit. Correct me if I'm wrong, but if they were in Tennessee, they would have probably made more early offers to kids in California. They're now in California. They're putting more early offers in and guys that they've kind of identified from before that are a little bit further away. The local kids, they can see them this summer. I mean, all those kids are probably going to come to the camp. It's a lot cheaper for them to come here. They can see them in person, take a little longer to evaluate them and kind of give their offers out. Uh, you know, a a little more cautiously, I guess you could say, but kind of give your thoughts on that whole situation.
3: Yeah, it does. It goes back to, you know, a conversation we've had several times just about um, in-state offers versus out-of-state offers, kind of what the strategy is. And, you know, knowing that the kids are in-state, there is a lot higher probability that they're going to commit if offered early. So you have to kind of, take that in mind and say, okay, you know, we're not really ready. We still want to kind of look at this position, evaluate it further, um, evaluate it on a national level. Then if you're going to do that, um, you kind of have to wait and make sure that you don't have a guy, a bunch of guys that just want to commit right off offers. Um, you know, USC is definitely – they're familiar with the Southeast, I think, because they're coming from Tennessee, and, and that, that is true. Um, they're also probably – somewhat familiar with California because they did recruit California last year to some extent, but I think they recruit more of that class. And you go, when you're out of state, you tend to go class by class a little more than having, you know, this knowledge of guys, you know, three or four years down the line. That tends to be more of a local thing. So, um, you know, that's a little bit of an excuse for them as far as, you know, who they offer and when. Um, but like you said, they're really trying to just get their foot in the door with a lot of these kids from back east uh, with these early offers. It's, it's not one of these things where, um, you know, they, they feel like, oh, yeah, you know, we really want this kid. And, and, and if we can get him to commit tomorrow, then we're going to go on him and commit tomorrow. They know that those kids are going to wait. Those of those kids, you know, are going to have to take their time through the process, and they're probably going to have to take official visits before they actually commit. So it's just a matter of building rapport, letting them know, hey, we really want you, we're really serious about you. Yeah, we know that you're not real familiar with our program, but – Let's get serious. Let's get serious early. Let's get serious now in the spring and not wait till the last minute to do it. So that's really what that's all about. It, it comes down to that, and I, I think you kind of articulated it well. Um, if it, it, it was vice versa and in Tennessee and the coaches were still at Tennessee, I'm sure that they would have you know 30 offers to California kids already. You know they had they had offers to quite a few California kids that they have not renewed offers to out here. Troy Nicholas tight end, defensive end from Servite, had an offer, a scholarship offer, as a sophomore from Tennessee. Airdron offered him as a sophomore at Tennessee. He doesn't have an offer at USC now. Um, Victor Blackwell, wide receiver of modern day, had an offer at Tennessee with that staff, does not have an offer at USC now. So, you know, vice versa, it changes, and, and that's why. It's just a difference between them being out in Tennessee and saying, hey, we got to make an impact with these guys. Now they're in Southern California. they got to make an impact with those guys uh, that they were recruiting, you know, locally in the Southeast.
1: All right. Well, Jim, thank you for that question. And uh, I'm glad you I had... think
3: Jim heard that there was a lot of scholarship offers going out of state. You heard... yeah. <laughs> what was that? Where did he hear that from?
1: He heard that from you. He <laughs> heard that on the podcast. We talked about that every week, it seems like. Uh, and if, if you have questions, don't forget podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. We love trying to answer all your questions. I know we can't get to every single one, but we really try to uh, in the time we have a lot for the podcast. One last one. Uh, Brad Hammer. What a name. Brad Hammer. Brad Hammer. Yeah. I love it. He said, my name is Brad Hammer. I'm a huge USC fan and I actually go to college at the University of Oregon, only because they have a really good psych program. All right, Brad, no, we won't hold that against you. My question was now that Santrell is going to sign. And actually, as of yesterday, Santrell Henderson did sign with the USC, sent in his letter of intent. Kiffin loves it. The whole USC crew loves Everyone loves it. Um, now that we don't have to answer any more questions on when is Sontrell going to sign, here's the first question about something about him as a player. Does he have the tools to start right away? And Gerard, before you get in, we were talking about this yesterday on the practice field with Dan Weber. Uh, Brian Fisher, uh, Dan Greenspan, we're all kind of talking about this. It was a little bit of a mixed bag, and uh, I think it's probably one of the hardest positions for a true freshman to start. Uh, But I I think a lot of it's going to depend on two things: one, how well does um, Tyron Smith play, and uh, two, does Lane Kiffin want to make that kind of impact that Pete Carroll loved to make, taking that you know uber five-star recruit and kind of sticking him in the starting lineup or you know, getting a lot of playing time right away, like a Joe McKnight or something, because it's like this out-of-state, five-star, big-time kid, and you almost feel like you have to play him right away. So I think there's a couple factors weighing in. But what do you think, Gerard? Do you think he's going to start, or, or does he have the tools to start? Could he do it?
3: Well, on factor two, I can say emphatically yes. He does want to make that splash, and he will give those kids out-of-state a chance to get early playing time, no doubt about it. I think that there will be a statement made, and he'll get every opportunity uh, to come in and make an impact early. Whether he will or not, I can only go by what I saw at the Army All-American Bowl because I think that gives a lot more... Insight into kind of how he is as a player. He goes and comes from you know Saint Paul uh, Cretan Day High School, uh, which you know is is a Cretan Durham, excuse me, is a, is, is a big time high school. Has produced a lot of Division one players now, a lot of very good players. In fact, I mean, I just saw somewhere I was reading how many guys they had play in the Army All American Bowl. They produce a lot of talent, guys that have been able to come in like Michael Floyd and play right away as true freshmen. Uh, but. You're definitely talking about a different level of competition when you're talking about Minnesota to when you get to the Army All-American game. And I think what we saw on the first practice, first day, we saw Chantrell Henderson uh, go against Ola Owen and Ola blew him up, just flat I blew him up. And it was just apparent that Chantrell had not seen that power and speed at that level before, you know, he's used to just dominating these kids across from him. And, oh, was just, you know, athletically just freakish and a lot more than he could handle at that point. But what I liked about Sean Terrell, what was the biggest thing to me that, that, that just kind of impressed me more than anything. And was one of the most impressive things I saw of anybody there at that whole, at that whole event was that he got better and better and better and by the time we got into Wednesday Thursday he was doing that to Owa and Ron Powell just taking them and manhandling getting downfield and before you know it he was the best offensive lineman at that event either side of the ball uh, at the person say either side of the ball either side of the east west teams um, at that game and i think that kind of shows you why he does have potential to be a starter as a true freshman or at least contribute something as a true freshman because He's going to be overwhelmed at fall camp. He's going to see these guys coming off the edge and be going, wow, okay, this is more power, this is more speed than I'm used to, but you know that he can adjust. You know that he can be coachable. You know that he can start at a point where he's getting beat, and he can get to a point where he's beating guys, and I think that's very important. I think if you're talking about a guy who's a true freshman and he's going to play, the first thing that people overlook, they get all into the measurables, you know, how big is he, how fast is he? That's all fine and dandy, but I think what we learned from looking at Joe McKnight and Reggie Bush, the biggest thing between between those two guys, and you, know, you can make a lot of differences between the two guys. I think now we look in hindsight and say, well, there were quite a few differences. But the only difference I saw even going into it just, you know, as, as Joe as a freshman immediately was just coachability and just, you know, intelligence, just, to, just being able to pick up the offense quickly. Reggie Bush came out of high school as a 4.0 guy. I mean, he was a good student. He understood how to learn and be disciplined in the classroom before going out in the field. And I think that's significant. And I think with Chantrelle, that is where it's going to come in, and that's where it's going to be important. How quickly can he acclimate to the speed of the game? But how quickly can he acclimate to the playbook? And that's going to be huge. And it comes from... Again, Crean Durham, that's, that's a private school. It's a hard school to get into. It's, you know, so he's, you know, he's busting his butt and he's doing some good things at a good private school, um, but you know we're going to have to see how he's able to acclimate to the playbook, pick up blitzes. That's what it's going to be about. He's all of 6'8", 320 pounds, dominant. He has the great feet. Uh, he's got great balance. He plays basketball. Is a really good AAU basketball player. I mean, this guy's got it all. This all there physically. So whether he plays right away or not, whether he's able to actually compete and we're talking about you know within the first five games of the season that's all going to be a playbook and from that point after then you're going to start to see his mental ability start to catch up with uh, his physical ability now I would argue um as far as, you know, difficult positions to play, you know, I think you take more risk a guy playing tackle, obviously, because, you know, you have your blind side for your quarterback, but even uh, off the edge, even in his front side, that he has vision of that guy coming off the ball, you still can get your quarterback killed by having, a, a, you know, an opposite tackle that just misses a block, that just misses a blitz pickup. So that's dangerous, but I would say on the line, uh, the center position is much more difficult to play just because you've got to make more calls. And if that center doesn't understand the offense, he doesn't know how to make uh, any calls on the line, that really ends up being a more difficult position. And we saw Crystal Dowd actually play really, really well as a true freshman at center. So we'll see. You know, coaching-wise, we'll see if these guys are able to get Sean Trell to do that same thing. And if he plays right tackle, you know what? that's a position that a freshman can play. They can get away with it. I mean, we see, uh, you know, Andre Smith was a, a four-year starter at Alabama. Uh, there's a few guys that have been able to do it. I think if he plays right tackle, um, you know, that's, in terms of mentally and, and the playbook, he, he might be able to get away with that. And, uh, you know, again, we're talking about fifth, sixth game of the season, you know, start to get in there. That's, that's what you're looking for. I, I don't know if you're necessarily going to say, okay, this guy's going to come in, you know, uh, you know, third week of fall camp, and he's going to take over that, uh, that starting position. That's all a lot to put on him that's a lot of expectations i think if you're talking about a guy playing as a true freshman you're talking about the fourth fifth game maybe and, and then go from there and see how he can contribute
1: all right wow that was a good idea. So we had to talk about henderson at least one last time now the next time we talk about him hopefully it will be something about him playing on the field and not about when he's going to sign or anything like that but we finally the next, get
3: to... i guarantee you what the next thing we're going to talk about is that there's going to be a handful of people that see him at the summer workouts. Oh, they'll probably watch the video on uscfootball.com and they're going to say, how can anybody be that big and that good and that quick? <laughs> That's what you're going to say. They're gonna, There's going to be questions about just his size because he is really legitimately 6'8", 320 pounds. When he came to the official visit, the funniest thing was you could see him clear across the stadium, like walking through the aisles. It, it looked like you know, like like Bigfoot through the forest, you know, those shaky cameras, and you, could, you just see this massive something roaring through the trees. Well, that was kind of like him going through the stands there with his big white shirt, and he had his USC white beanie. And I'm going, that's Chantrell Henderson. There's just no way that's anybody other than Chantrell Henderson, and it turns out to be him. He is a massive, massive offensive lineman. And the thing is is that he has that build. Again, going to Chris O'Dowd, like somebody asked me just today on the peristyle, you know, in terms of, you know, size and height and whatnot, you know, how does he compare to this guy or the other guy? Somebody mentioned, uh, how does he compare to Winston Justice? Chantrell physically, there's no comparison. Chantrell is just a bigger human being. He is like a different species of human being in terms of, you know, comparing him to Winston Justice. Winston Justice was excellent, athletic, lean, long arms. He had this kind of unique look to him, uh, more, more on par with what you see with Tyron Smith. Um, Really, The only guy, as he frame-wise, that can compare to Chantrelle would be Chris O'Dowd. Chris O'Dowd is a big dude. People don't realize, you know, he's 6'5", 3'15". He carries that 3'15 a lot differently than a, a lot of other guys carry 3'15". He's just a big dude, and Chantrell's similar to that. I mean, he's, he's just got big broad shoulders, big hands, big legs. Uh, he's huge, and people are just going to be blown away by that, you know, that aspect of him first and foremost.
1: All right. Well, Gerard? Always good stuff. Thanks very much for uh, joining us in this recruiting portion of the podcast. We always have a good time talking to you, and recruiting is such a fun topic to get into. we got the May evaluation period coming up, so there will be lots of stuff going on. But spring ball, of course, is coming up next. And uh, recruits usually come down, Gerard. They come down and check out spring practice a lot of times. You know, they
3: didn't come down a whole lot the last couple of years, which was interesting. I mean, they had a couple of days there where, uh, actually, last year, I shouldn't say that. Last year, you had, uh, you know, Tony Jefferson and Bryce Schwab ended up committing actually uh, at spring ball um, last year. and Bryce Schwab actually, we you know, didn't sign with USC. Um, but there's, there was a few guys that came through, um, but there was a the year before. It was kind of quiet. But this, I anticipate, you know, this year, we've already had guys coming down uh, for practice for the, just the throw you know, just the winter workouts and everything. So, you can imagine that, uh, you know, the invitation is going to be out there and the coaching staff is going to want to get kids down there. And it's going to be a lot of intrigue from a lot of recruits, you know, just to see how this new staff operates, you know, how practice is going to be different. There are going to be high school coaches that just want to come down and see, you know, what's going on with USC? What does this look like with Lane Kiffin as the head coach? People are so used to seeing Pete Carroll out there that I think – you know, maybe there was a little bit of that complacency on the other side of the fence with recruits and high school coaches and just the fans. It's like, yeah, you know what? USC practices are fun. They're energetic, but we've seen it before. Um, you know, we haven't seen uh, Lane Kiffin as a head coach before. We haven't seen how this, this staff interacts with the players and what they're going to be doing from practice. You, know, you assume they'll have a lot of the traits that you know, were there with Pete Carroll because Lane and Ed Ergeron were there and they'd gone through that, but you know, there's some new staff members there too, so you know, what's the style of a Joe Barry in terms of coaching, Willie Matt Garza, you know, are they going to be the same as some of the guys that were under Pete Carroll staff or are they going to be totally different? I think people are intrigued and so I think the recruits are going to come down and they're going to want to get a piece of that and, and get familiar with it because it's going to be a big part of their decision.
1: Yeah, you forget that it's not just the fans and, and the media and everyone else is going to be so curious about what goes on. Their recruits are kind of curious too. I mean, what, you know, the, the, it's been an interesting reaction to hear what the players have to say. They're really excited about the new staff, but they were already in the old system Anything kind of new usually generates some kind of excitement. But for everyone on the outside looking in, and I think this includes a lot of those recruits, they want to see what's going to be different. Pete Carroll was such an icon in this city. Lane Kiffin comes in, lots of controversy, a great staff. You know, They have a lot of talent already. What's going to go on? So there's so much, to, uh, so much to see, I guess, in spring football, and not just for the fans, but for the recruits as well.
3: I'm looking forward to it. Are you looking forward
1: to it? I am very much looking forward to it. It's not. It's it's fun covering these winter workouts and stuff because it's cool. You can film the whole thing. It's a little different than when you're at practice, but you want to see those pads go on again, and you kind of want to see, you know, what's it going to look like with Orgeron yelling on the field during stretching, and how Joe Barry handles the linebackers, and, and Willie Mac Garza. With the are they going to change the way they? They do, you know, coverages in the secondary. So much stuff is going to go on there. And I really am curious about the offense and what Lane Kiffin kind of does with that, how the offensive staff comes together. So, so much to watch. And, yes, I'm very Dylan curious. Dylan Baxter. Dylan Baxter made a great play yesterday uh, on a ball by John Manoogian at the work. I mean, it. Uh, there's so many guys that you want to see, you know, with Prater and Baxter, the new guys coming in, I think they could push for playing time and, uh, you know, push some of the guys. I, I I really want to see the competition as well. So much to talk about with that. But will there really be competition for all these spots? And, and I think some of the new recruits coming in might have a little bit of an advantage because they are part of the new regime. And if they have a really chance to play, you might you, know, you might think Lane Kiffin could give those guys the benefit of the doubt.
3: It's uh, we'll see. I mean, they're kind of part of the new regime and kind of part of the old regime. It's an interesting thing because, you know, some of those guys were committed with Pete Carroll and then, you know, they were saved more or less by Lane Kiffin and, and Ed and the other, and the new coaching staff. So, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of both and well, again, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. I just, you know, there's a lot there that, uh, that people, you know, they want to see some change in certain directions and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens and, and, and what, what positive ways it happens and then maybe, you know, what negative ways it may happen. Um, you know, that's, that's the exciting thing is that, you know, you bring in a new coaching staff and, and there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of potential there, you know, and, and people put the expectations in the potential. But it can go both ways, and that's why it's exciting.
1: All right. Well, Gerard, I think this is our longest recruiting segment ever, so we'll just uh, end the podcast on that note. Uh, but thanks again for, uh, joining us. It's always fun talking, recruiting with you and we'll uh, talk to you next week.
3: Awesome. Thank you very much. And, uh, I think next week it'll be uh, spring ball. So I don't know. I don't know. I might get bumped. Dan Weber may bump me.
1: Oh, it's actually next week will be the pro day. So we'll, uh, we'll have to figure out what's going to go on with the podcast. It might go up a little bit later because of, uh, depending on the timing of the pro day. So, uh, we, yeah, we might not be able to talk too much recruiting. So next week, make sure you send in your questions about anything. The USC Pro Day will be down there covering that. But thanks again, Gerard. Everyone else, thank you very much. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast, and we'll talk to you all next week.